Greetings, everyone. We've got a great show for you today. I hope you all had a fantastic Independence Day holiday with friends and family. This week, America's getting back to work, and I thank you for joining me for today's program. We've got a lot of positive news and things to discuss. First, we take a look at the new patriotic film, Washington's Armor, that focuses on a young George Washington. And second, we'll focus on some remarkable wins handed down from the United States Supreme Court regarding religious liberty, government handouts, and university admissions. Thirdly, we'll look at uh, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. He admitted recently to government collusion and censorship at Facebook during the pandemic. Imagine that. And finally, the Biden administration once again embarrassed itself. Oh, imagine that by announcing that they want to solve all of America's problems by, you ready? You ready for it? Get this? By blocking out the sun. All of this and Dictionary Wars on today's edition of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Well, let's jump right into it. Okay, well, happy birthday, America. And for those of you that are listening to this program in other countries, and I know we've got a number of people uh, tuning in, some of you in the United Kingdom, and thanks for tuning in. I know that uh, people in the UK still a little touchy about that uh, 4th of July thing that we're celebrating over here. But hey, thanks for listening to the program. Just hang with us. And uh, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. So hey, the July 4th celebrations here in America. Well, you know, some people, they do the fireworks thing. Thanks to the Chinese for inventing fireworks a few millennia ago. And then... Uh, some of us uh, have fireworks and family gatherings, food, uh, good conversation, that sort of thing. One of the things that we try to do here in our uh, in in the Lions household, we we like to. Uh, watch a patriotic movie or, or look for a, a new patriotic movie. And this year I went looking around, looking around and found this movie. Some of you may have heard of it. The movie is called Washington's Armor. Uh, it actually came back out, excuse me, back in uh, July of 2022. But, um, you know, about a year later, I found it. Um, I wasn't really looking for it back in July of 2022, but not too many people are talking about it, but I think it's going to gain traction. It's the first of the three-part uh, series or trilogy. Here's what they say on their site. It's a patriotic adventure film trilogy depicting the perilous journey of young George Washington 20 years prior to the Revolutionary War. Let's take a listen to cut one. Where, madam, do you get your facts? Just in your journal, sir. It's all in your journal. Some would have you to believe today that all of this is the work of chance. 
and not that of divine providence. Good morning, Major Washington. His Lordship said that you are to insist that the governor send you with a letter addressing Mr. Christopher Guest. They butchered him in front of his wife and children so that no provincial nor Indian, not loyal to the French, would dare venture to go where you and the governor would have us go. Many in the House believe your trip to the French Commandant to be theatrics, to induce public sentiment both here and abroad for war. How, George, do you respond to this indictment? That some would say to be unreasonable reasoning in the age of reason, sir. Be the very consequence if the boy dies in the wilderness. He led us into Ottawa territory. That Indian will find his brothers and they will hunt us down. Well, what you find out when you watch this film, uh, Washington's armor, was that he did not lead a life which was easy, let us say that. His, his father passed away at a young age, and uh, he, had, he chose to go into the military. So he didn't have a lot of the formal education that a number of the founding fathers had. He certainly didn't have a law degree. He uh, really learned through experience. And we see a young Washington leading troops at a very uh, young age and making some mistakes, but eventually learning by those mistakes and uh, sort of navigating through life without a father, as is the case with many people. And so I recommend this uh, story, this movie. Of course, it is based on, it's a dramatization, obviously based on the true story of George Washington. Uh, it takes place in colonial America at the time of the political turmoil due to the English and French both warring on American soil, which is what we call the French-Indian War. And as the American Indians carefully choose sides, George Washington, he gets an opportunity to prove his military capability and resolve which strategically places him on this miraculous journey to becoming the first president of the United States of America. Uh, this story is not only filled with physical uh, danger uh, from the elements, but also the dangerous opposing parties that make every decision in a life or death situation. So uh, that's the description of the film. Highly recommended. I think they've done a good job, and I really look forward to the second and third installment of this film. Basically, it looks at Washington 20 years prior to the Revolutionary War. Check it out. All right, let's move on. Okay, the U.S. Supreme Court was front and center at the end of June uh, this year, 2023. And you notice there is certainly now a pattern that this new Supreme Court with three judges on it, remember, appointed by Donald Trump, these three new judges are making an impact and they did not under deliver this year. Uh, once again, they made some stunning choices for liberty, for freedom, for religious liberty at the end of 2023. And you notice also the other pattern is that they come out with their big cases in their final week of ruling uh, before they go into the summer break. Last year, it was Roe v. Wade. 
Roe v. Wade, which was overturned. And of course, that was the decision almost 50 years ago. Well, 50 years ago as of now. But when they overturned it, it was about 49 years prior that they overturned Roe v. Wade, which essentially made abortion legal in the United States of America, but they overturned that as a right. Now, this year, once again, they did not disappoint. Yeah, good job, Supreme Court. Great. Yeah, great job. Thank you. All right, that's enough of that. Okay, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. So the Supreme Court uh, has been transformed, clearly, and uh, that is uh, much to the credit of Donald Trump. Now, People knew this would happen, that Trump would put conservative judges on the bench. But for a president, a single-term president, of course, he's running for office for a second time in 2024. But for a single-term president to put three judges onto the Supreme Court of the United States of America is a rare thing indeed. Well, in the last days of uh, its term, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned affirmative action. Okay, this happened in June of 2023. Uh, they overturned affirmative action as a college missions a metric. They struck down President Biden's student loan forgiveness or payoff program, and they upheld religious liberty by upholding the right of a Christian business person to refuse a client, and that was in the state of Colorado, by upholding the right of a Christian business person to refuse a client. In other words, the Constitution does not confirm a right to compel somebody to speak, and this is very important. Uh, to embrace or uphold or propagate thoughts and ideas that are against a person's deeply held religious beliefs. Let's take a listen to now cut number 2A. Over the past 72 hours, the six conservative justices of the U.S. Supreme Court have transformed America so dramatically that it will take years for the dust to settle. Three stunning rulings in the final two days of the court's term undid decades of legal precedent and lurched America further to the right. They ruled 6-3 to cut affirmative action on college campuses, which has been upheld by the courts for years. At the same time, also by 6-3, they blocked the Biden administration from wiping out billions in student loan debts. And in a major blow to gay rights, again in a 6-3 decision, they said it was OK for a Christian web designer citing religious beliefs to deny her wedding services to gay couples. All right, let's dig right into this. First of all, let's take a look at the affirmative action case. Uh, Supreme Court ends, uh, and, and that report was from CNN, June 30th, 2023, the one you just heard. Now, affirmative action, Supreme Court ends affirmative action in college admissions. And this is from the Business Insider, okay? So this is very interesting. The... Earlier Supreme Court cases, according to a Business Insider, earlier Supreme Court cases had upheld affirmative action, the practice of giving additional weight to applicants who belong to groups that have historically been subject to discrimination. And this was for four decades. So this is a big decision from the Supreme Court uh, overturning four decades of past precedent. Some decisions have been refining the practice uh, such as forbidding the use of racial quotas in admissions. But 
Now, of course, Trump put three new judges or justices on the bench of the Supreme Court. So this decision came down six to three, uh, the conservative majority of the Supreme Court and legal experts um, have expected the Supreme Court to do away with affirmative action altogether, which is exactly what happened. So Students for Fair Admissions brought two lawsuits that ended up before the Supreme Court, and this was last fall. Harvard University and University of North Carolina, they alleged discrimination against white and Asian American students. And that is what was found that there was indeed discrimination against white and Asian students. And so the six conservative judges agreed on the majority opinion written by Chief Justice Roberts. He said that for too long, universities have concluded, quote, concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. These are very powerful words by Chief Justice John Roberts. So the affirmative action has been struck down. You're probably going to see the universities trying to come up with some sort of workaround there's even talk of, well, we're going to just throw out test scores completely and, and use essays. And so we'll see what happens. But um, the uh, court has, again, reversed decades of affirmative action. Secondly, the court decided that a business can deny services to an individual in this report by U.S. News and World Report, titled A Business Can Decline Services Based on Its Beliefs, Supreme Court Rules, but what will this look like in practice? Well, let's dive into this. Okay, so at issue this year's most highly anticipated Supreme Court case was 303 Creative versus Ellenis. So 303 Creative LLC is a company that designs uh, websites for weddings. And um, this is a Christian company. They did not hide that. And 303 Creative addressed whether a Colorado anti-discrimination law can require a designer who believes marriage is only between a man and a woman to create a wedding website for a same-sex couple. So that's what the case was about. It was challenging a Colorado anti-discrimination law. And in this case, Colorado lost. So this, again, was a 6-3 decision by the Supreme Court. And this decision uh, had to do with compelled speech. So let's take a look at this article regarding this Supreme Court decision uh, this is a U.S. News World Report, and the article is entitled Business Can Decline Service Based on Its Beliefs. Uh, you can check it out in the show notes. Well, again, at issue is 303 Creative versus Ellenis. And two years ago, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed that the answer was yes, but on June 30, 2023, a bitterly, uh, the Supreme Court reversed the judgment. So the Tenth Circuit Court was upholding the judgment in favor of Colorado, and this was reversed. 
On June 30, 2023, Supreme Court ruled 63 that the free speech clause of the First Amendment prohibited state officials from requiring the designer to create a website that communicates a message which she disagrees with. So this is very interesting because this is being touted around the country as a major defeat for the LGBTQ plus ABC 123 baby you and me uh, community. But no, I'm saying no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not buying that. Listen, they shopped this case. They targeted this person that had disclosed to the public that she was a Christian and that she made websites for weddings and that she believed that a wedding is the union of a man and a woman. Fine. You should be able to make that declaration without it being controversial. But they targeted her in order to make an example of her, the owner of this company. And so the point, and the company is 303 Creative LLC. The point is, aren't there any other website companies in the entire United States of America that can make a website for a gay couple? Yeah, there are thousands of them all over the country. And I'm sure there's many, many of them in the state of Colorado. So why'd they pick this one? They shopped it. They picked it on purpose in order to intimidate them, in order to make an example of 303 Creative LLC. And it took a lot of fight. It took time. But the owner of the company took it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, and she got justice. And she won her case that you cannot be compelled to say something that is against your views. And a website is a written statement. It's something written. And that was part of the argument. So, the, again, the underlying dispute, according to U.S. News & World, was that Lori Smith, the founder and owner of a studio called 303 Creative LLC, according to court documents, Smith will work with clients of any sexual orientation. However, she will not create content that goes against her religious beliefs, such as, quote, that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. Conflict arose when Smith challenged Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act, under which it is discriminatory and illegal to refuse services to someone based on disability, race, creed, color, sex, sexual orientation, marital status, nature, national origin, or ancestry. So this goes all the way back to 2016. That's how long it takes these uh, fights to get all the way up, these legal battles to make it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. So that's seven years. In, in 2016, Smith unsuccessfully sued the members of the State Civil Rights Commission in Colorado's Attorney General. She and her attorneys argued that creating a website counts as an act of speech. But she lost that case. The law would force her to speak, legally referred to as compelled speech. Smith and her attorneys also claimed that requiring her to create a website would violate the First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion. The federal court trial in Colorado rejected Smith's attempt to block enforcement of the Anti-Discrimination Act 
law in 2019. And when she appealed, a split 10th circuit affirmed that Smith could not refuse to create a website. Protecting diverse viewpoints in the court's opinion was a good in and of itself. But combating discrimination is like individual autonomy essential to our democratic ideals. And the Supreme Court of the United States says, no, that is not what the United States is all about. The Supreme Court agreed to hear Smith's case, but limited the issue to free speech, sidestepping the dispute over the free exercise of religion. The question before the court was, and remember, when you bring a case, any case, not just the Supreme Court, you have to show harm. If there's no harm, there is no case. So the Supreme Court narrowed it down to this question, quote, whether applying a public accommodation law to compel an artist to speak or stay silent violates the free speech clause of the First Amendment. They narrowed it to a free speech issue, and she won. Writing for the majority, Gorsuch noted that, quote, the First Amendment protections belong to all, not just to speakers whose motives the government finds worthy. I applaud the Supreme Court of the United States for making this decision because this is going to have an important ripple effect throughout society. This is very, very important. It really has a whole lot more to do than just the LGBT community. That is a very narrow way to view this decision. What if the government forces you to say or print anything? I mean, would we even have a free press anymore if editorialists are forced to say or print or espouse views that they don't believe in? But that would be the end of, the, of, of a free press in the United States of America. This was a huge win for liberty. All right, the Supreme Court rules in favor of Christian mail carrier refusing to work on Sundays. Uh, this story is brought to us by MSNBC, something I don't listen to very often, but I think they did a fairly decent job uh, with this story. Let's take a listen. And in other Supreme Court news, the justices ruled unanimously in favor of an evangelical Christian postal worker who argued the U.S. Postal Service didn't do enough to accommodate his request to not work on Sundays. The decision is a major victory to religious groups, greatly expanding how far employers must go to oblige the religious views of their employees. Back with me is MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin. So explain this, Lisa. Katie, this decision, as you just mentioned, was brought by an evangelical post office worker who wanted to rest and worship on Sundays and whose post office wouldn't accommodate him because of all the Amazon packages that they have to deliver. He sued under Title VII, that's federal employment discrimination law, and he said that his employer, the post office, didn't do enough to, co to accommodate him. The mail worker did not want to work on Sundays. Apparently... Now, Amazon is contracting with the United States Post Office to deliver packages on Sundays. Some of you are very aware of that. 
And so he didn't want to work on Sundays. He wanted to go to church. He wanted to rest, probably spend time with his family. And he wasn't accommodated. So that's what this case was about. It was Groff versus DeJoy. The high court reiterated that employees must not be forced to choose between their faith and their job. And this is according to an article by the Heritage Foundation. And uh, you can find that in the show notes. So continuing, the high court reiterated that employees must not be forced to choose between their faith and their job and finally clarified longstanding precedent uh, that had been largely misunderstood and used to deny religious accommodation to employees for years. The petitioner in the case was Gerald Groff. He had asked the justices to determine whether his employer, the U.S. Postal Service, was required to provide a religious accommodation, excusing him from work so that he could observe the Sabbath on Sundays. Groff argued that he must, as Exodus 28 puts it, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, unquote. When the Postal Service began delivering packages Sundays for Amazon, it initially accommodated Groff by exempting him from deliveries that day so that he could observe the Sabbath. But a few years later, the Postal Service withdrew Groff's religious accommodation, replaced it with an arrangement that regularly asked him to violate his conscience by working every Sunday when he couldn't find a replacement. Groff sued under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 64, which prohibits employment discrimination, quote, because of such individuals' race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. So when a Pennsylvania court upheld the Postal Service's decision not to accommodate Groff, he appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals, Third Circuit, so on and so forth. This is how it goes. You lose, you lose, you lose, and then finally you get to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court is only able to take a limited amount of cases each year, less than 100, maybe 60, maybe less. And so everybody does not get a shot at the Supreme Court of the United States. So this case was taken up and he won. And so this is very important, again, for uh, religious accommodation and, again, not forcing someone to do something that they don't believe in. Uh, In the case of 303 Creative, it was not forcing uh, someone to speak or compelled speech to occur. But in this case, it was not forcing someone, the person was gruff, or not forcing the person to work on Sunday, which is very interesting because they had accommodated him for a couple of years. And, and then, I don't know, for some reason, they stopped accommodating him. And so he sued and he had to push the issue and he was able to get justice. And what's even more remarkable is that all nine of the justices agreed for the plaintiff. This is very unusual but it was a unanimous decision and it was authored by Justice Samuel Alito. And it, again, it upheld the right of an employee to be granted a religious accommodation by his employer, unless doing so would substantially affect the employer's business. So here we go. Even though you've got three justices that were appointed by Donald Trump, 
which are considered or painted by the media, the mainstream media, the alphabet media. They're painted as being conservative. Here you've got the justices that are not considered conservative agreeing with the conservative judges, a unanimous decision. So I'd say that that was a win. Good job, Supreme Court. Yeah, do it again next year. Do it again in 2024. Great job, great job. Narrative Wars continues to expand its audience both in the United States and internationally. We just surpassed the 2000 program download mark. Great job. Thank you for your support for this program. Hey, if you keep listening, we'll keep producing free content to keep you informed. You can follow us on social media at Getter and also Twitter. Just search for my name. That's Jeffrey K. Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. And make sure you put the K there, Jeffrey K. Lyons. And you'll find me on Getter and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at narrativewars.org. That's narrativewars.org. And when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, please five-star rate, follow, and please tell two to three like-minded friends. You can just forward them the um, website address or forward them a program that you enjoy listening to on your favorite podcasting app. Just send it to a friend, two or three like-minded friends. That's not asking too much. Hey, that's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars posse. We truly appreciate your support. You're the reason why we do this program. And now let's continue. So in this next story, Mark Zuckerberg, and he's the founder of Facebook, Uh, The company is now called Meta, which owns Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg admits that the feds asked Facebook to censor content on Facebook. Whoa, is that a surprise? Yeah, it really did happen. Of course, anybody that was on Facebook saw and tried to challenge the narrative about the jab or challenge uh, other uh, counter narratives such as, hey, were those elections really fair in 2020? Any of that, it was, you know, misinformation censored. And I had friends that went into Facebook jail. Look, this is clearly assault on free speech. So I'm going to go somewhere else. So that's why you're going to find me on Getter. And also now Twitter. In any case, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, he disclosed that the U.S. government and social media companies colluded to stifle dissenters who turned out to be correct. Oh, really? So it wasn't all misinformation? How interesting. Let's take a listen to this next cut. Cut number three. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg said that censoring COVID misinformation posed a challenge to the company, citing the scientific community's frequent errors about the novel virus. He elaborated on this last Wednesday on Lex Friedman's podcast. Let's watch. You just take some of the stuff around COVID earlier on in the pandemic, where um, there were you know, real health implications, but there hadn't been time to fully vet a bunch of the scientific assumptions. And, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of the kind of establishment on that um, 
you know, kind of waffled on a bunch of facts and, you know, asked for a bunch of things to be censored that in retrospect ended up being, you know, more debatable or, or true. And that stuff is really tough, right? And really undermines trust. The Facebook founder also said that pinpointing misinformation was, quote, tricky. Journalist Glenn Greenwald weighed in on Zuckerberg's explanation, tweeting Thursday, quote, This is very important. Zuckerberg says that many of the claims about COVID that the U.S. government and the Fauci complex pressured Facebook to censor on the grounds that it was disinformation turned out, in fact, to be very debatable, if not proven true. In a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, COVID censorship proved to be deadly. For three years, pandemic public relations mocked nature, generating fear, illness, inflation, and excess death. Beyond the virus cause, digital censorship supercharged the effort to hide reality. But reality is now getting its day in court. What an irony. What a, so on July 4th, the judgment came out. And of course, the... I don't think the judge was working on July the 4th. He probably put it together days ahead of time, but he released it electronically on July 4th. What an irony. I think perhaps the judge was trying to make a statement for freedom because this case has a lot to do with freedom in the United States of America. So on July 4th, U.S. District Judge Terry Doherty temporarily blocked numerous federal agencies and the White House from collaborating with social media companies and third-party groups to censor speech. There's discovery that's taken place in a case called Missouri versus Biden, and it exposed multiple relationships among government agencies, social media firms, and it revealed an additional layer of university centers self-styled disinformation watchdogs and fact-checking outfits. Remember, we had that ridiculous uh, person. I don't even want to say her name, but she's your Mary Poppins censor, official, shutdown, fake speech, misinformation, czar. They didn't need her. I think she was just something silly to be talking about and distracting while this actual censorship was going on. As the article continues, Elon Musk's release of some of Twitter's internal files revealed that up to 80, that's 80, Federal Bureau of Investigation agents were embedded with social media companies. In other words, they're on the payroll. FBI agents on the payroll in social media companies. Huh. The agents mostly weren't fighting terrorism. No, what were they fighting? They were flagging wrong think, which is an Orwellian term, by American citizens, including eminent scientists who suggested different paths on COVID policy. Oh, so there was a pre-approved way of thinking there was an approved narrative from the federal government. And if you didn't go along with that narrative, then any one of these 80 Federal Bureau of Investigation agents, which were peppered through the big social media companies, we know who they are, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, they were going to shut you down. And how many, how many people do you know 
if you're a patriot out there, you probably have friends who were put into Twitter jail, Facebook jail, or even YouTube jail. You've been a bad content creator. You can't say that. No, not in America. Forget your free speech rights. There's only one approved narrative. Stay home. Don't come in to see the doctor. Don't take any medicine. Doctor doesn't have any medicine for you. But if you're about dying and crawling into the hospital, no problem. We'll bring you in. We'll strap you to a bed. We'll put a, put a ventilator into you. And maybe you'll survive. There was an approved narrative of what to say and what not to say. They shut down free speech, but now it's all coming out. In this case, Missouri versus Biden. Well, the results of these relationships, Twitter, according to the article, we continue according to the article or the opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, Twitter blacklisted Stanford physician and economist Jay Bhattacharya for showing COVID almost exclusively threatened the elderly, severely reducing the visibility of his tweets. Well, we talked about him in a prior show on narrative wars, and there was an interview in the Epoch Times that had to do with Stanford physician and economist Jay Bhattacharya. And when Stanford Health Policy scholar Scott Atlas began advising the White House, YouTube erased his most prominent video opposing lockdowns and yes, I found out this to be true. In fact, gee, a couple of years ago, I saw restaurants shutting down because they didn't have enough workers. And I talked to the managers and the managers couldn't hire workers. Well, of course, Amazon did really well. So did other online retailers. They did great. People purchased all sorts of things that I suppose they didn't need during that time. I don't know. YouTube demonized the evolutionary biologist Brett Weinstein, who suggested the virus might be engineered and predicted vaccine-evading variants. Oh, no, you can't say the virus might be engineered. Very bad, very bad. Can't say that. You know, it's really interesting because I have a surgeon that I go to for follow-up and I had a conversation, a frank conversation with my surgeon. I said, you know, I don't really think I want to get the jab because my feeling is it's like the flu vaccine. It's going to have very low efficacy. It's always changing. It's always evolving. And the flu vaccine, we know, is just an educated guess for, for what's going to be out there. And he said, that's correct as far as the flu vaccine goes. But... This is different. I mean, what do you mean this is different? I asked him. And my surgeon, who works at a very large research university-sponsored medical organization, he said, this thing called COVID is not natural. And then he just left it at that. Well, if it's not natural, seems like that would open the door to a conversation that, well, if it's not natural, then what is it? You know? If a virus is not a natural virus, then we got a problem here. Was it bioengineered? We have a completely different conversation here. So here we go. YouTube demonetized evolutionary biologists. They didn't just shut him down on YouTube, but they demonetized his YouTube channel, Brett Weinstein, 
because he suggested the virus might be engineered and predicted vaccine evading variants. And that's exactly what's happened. We found out that the efficacy now, and this is covered by Dr. Peter McCullough, is that now we have a negative efficacy in terms of the vaccines. The more people take boost number two, three, four, five, six, not only does efficacy decline, but you have a better chance of resisting COVID if you don't have any vaccine at all. They're finding that it's more probable statistically that a person will get sick if they have had multiple vaccines than if a person has not had any vaccines. So it looks like Brett Weinstein was correct, but he was shut down. Very interesting. So as this article concludes, the U.S. government spent $6 trillion to prop up or buoy the shuttered economy. And most people got COVID anyway. Worst of all, the lockdowns and mandates resulted in unprecedented bad health outcomes for the young and middle-aged people. So we shut down the country. First Amendment was trampled on. The government spent $6 trillion to shut people up in their homes, sent them checks to do nothing. And now we've got out-of-control inflation and we have a country which is still recovering from all of these bad decisions. But the good news is that on the 4th of July, U.S. District Judge Terry Doherty temporarily blocked multiple federal agencies and the White House from continuing to collaborate with social media companies and third-party groups to censor speech. So I don't know if you were aware of this, folks, but it was still going on all the way up to the July the 4th, 2023. Federal agents embedded all across private companies in order to shut down private speech. Clearly a First Amendment violation. Well, let's move on to narrative wars. The weaponization of the English language is what we're going to be talking about. Now, this comes from Town Hall, an article, Restorative Justice After Misgendering Incident. Now, this is really interesting because in California, there was a recent case in a California school district, and they suspended two children for five days after misgendering incident took place. Look, they're just kids, you know? Kids don't want to be involved in politics. They don't understand what's going on with all this he, she, we, zee, zim, zab, zuba, dooby uh, pronouns. But no, they want to intimidate these kids, children in the California school district. This is what's going on. Then they subjected them to something called restorative justice, according to an email uh, reviewed by Fox News Digital. Okay, so this is being covered by Town Hall, being covered by F Fox News Digital. Okay, all of this is in the show notes. Let's take a look at this Fox News uh, follow-up to this story. California School District suspends kids for five days for misgendering a trans student. So so they used this, the wrong pronoun 
according to the California education system, and they're out of school for five days? What does that say about education? It sounds like the education system is an indoctrination center. Formal principal Jennifer Earle described two students who misgendered a transgender student, and they ran away as the teacher attempted to correct them. Well, they're embarrassed. They're kids. Look, they don't want to get involved in this ridiculous political flipper flap that adults are involved in. Quote, I suspended two students for five days each today and will be conducting restorative justice. Okay, restorative justice. That is our Dictionary Wars term for today, restorative justice. With students and teacher for the misgendering in interviewing them, they admitted to being curious about a transgender person. Well, it's, isn't that what kids do? Kids are curious. That's normal. That's part of childhood. I asked the teacher involved in the incident how he wanted to handle it. And if he wanted me to just teach them about misgendering or would he like me to speak about being trans? He asked me to educate on transgender. It was well received from the students and the parents. Yes, sure it was. This is indoctrination, folks. This is where our public education is in the state of California. This is why many people are fleeing California. This is why California lost a congressional seat because hundreds of thousands of people are fleeing California because of this sort of nonsense. Quote, a student has never been punished, much less suspended for accidentally using the wrong pronoun to refer to a peer or staff community member. However, a student could be suspended if the action escalated to harassment or bullying. Well, now it's bullying. I thought, I thought the kids were just embarrassed and took off and they were curious and they didn't know what was going on. Imagine if this was your kid. If you're a parent, imagine if this is your kid suspended for five days for just getting pronouns wrong. Restorative justice is a re-education of students and gaining control over a situation based on perceived wrongs they committed. Now, restorative justice has a certain value, and it's been around in many states across the United States of America. But in this case, I believe they just went too far. And I'd be curious to see if the parents involved in this case turn it into a lawsuit. We'll see what happens, and we'll just continue to monitor this case. Well, oh my goodness, time is really flying by, and this last story has to do with the White House, who wants to shut down the sun. Let's take a listen to cut number four. As the Biden administration signals its fight against global warming may actually involve blocking sunlight. The White House posting research claiming, quote, solar radiation modification would enable better informed decisions about the potential risk and benefits of SRM as a component of climate policy alongside the foundational elements of greenhouse gas emissions mitigation. 
Our next guest warns this is simply government's way to control your weather. Mark Morano, publisher of ClimateDepot.com, and he joins us now. Okay, Mark, you know, my take this morning was maybe this is one of those or else, you know, get on board with everything else or we're going to block the sun. But I guess it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more reality than that. Tell us about it. Well, this is actually Bill Gates funding this as well through Harvard University. Okay. This is retro 1970s. In the 1970s, they believed that our uh, fossil fuels were creating aerosols, blocking the sun, creating man-made global cooling. So they came up with the same kind of geoengineering solutions back then. They wanted to put black soot on the Arctic to melt it. There was one proposal to use nuclear energy to help loosen the Arctic ice caps because they thought they were growing too much. Uh, and John Holdren, back in the Obama administration also supported this kind of geoengineering, if you will, of the climate. This is radical, risky, unproven, unknown effects, but they're doing it as a sort of lever over us to say now in the Biden administration, kind of like, yeah, we know this is dangerous, we don't know the effects, but darn it, people aren't buying electric cars fast enough, or they're not embracing Green New Deal policies, so we have to risk our entire planet with this insane kind of research. That story by the Washington Examiner, Julia Johnson, July 3rd, 2023. Go to the show notes and you can check it out. Well, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy released its Congressional Mandated Research Plan and, quote, Initial Research Governance Framework Related to Solar Radiation Modification. Hmm, sounds real scientific, doesn't it? On Friday, according to the White House, the report, quote, identifies critical knowledge gaps and scopes, potential research areas that could improve understanding of risks and benefits posed by solar radiation modification, unquote. So have these people even taken high school biology? If you block the sun, plants die. If plants die, there's less oxygen. If there's less oxygen, people die. Not good. But the Biden administration thinks it's, it's a wonderful idea. The article continues, the plan would involve the reflection of sunlight back into space, thereby preventing or delaying additional temperature increases. So this is just, once again, this is an excuse for government to really screw up our lives, spend money needlessly, and basically damage our economy, take away our freedoms. But this is what they like to do. This is what the Biden administration wants to do. The article continues, notably, the possibility of reflecting sun rays echoes a story from The Simpsons. <laughs> I'm not a big Simpsons fan, but apparently in the episode, Who Shot Mr. Burns? The town's wealthy owner attempts to block the sun's rays so that citizens will be forced to use nuclear energy from its power plant. In that episode, it aired back in 95. And apparently, The Simpsons has been known for predicting future events. Well, I'm not a huge uh, Simpsons fan, but okay, that's interesting. The Biden administration has made climate a chief priority, pledging to reach net zero emissions. Basically, they want to drive us all into caves they want to drive us into the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. They want to shut down electricity production. They want us to drive electric cars. And if we can't afford the $60,000 electric cars, then they want to put us on bicycles or have us riding trains. They want to take away electricity, 
curb and electricity production. That's why you're seeing rolling blackouts happening in, happening in numerous states because they've already started shutting down coal plants. So here's the message. Coal is bad. Uh, oil, definitely bad. You know, all, all those packages that come to your house, Amazon, when people are sitting in their houses playing video games, collecting those checks from the U.S. government, how do you think those Amazon packages get to your house? Trucks deliver them. And those trucks, the majority of those trucks, they're diesel. And diesel is a petroleum fuel. So do, do you begin to see the irony in all of this? The irony is that the big companies get the benefits. Yeah, they're making billions of dollars. And the freedoms and the choices of American citizens are being taken away. You doubt me? Look up the articles. They want to take away your gas stoves. Well, that's not going to go over very well with commercial kitchens. So that's going to impact food production. I'm telling you, folks, the crazies in the lunatic, climate, frantic, net zero community, they want to drive us back into a pre-industrialized society taking away so many of the things that we take for granted. Lights in our house, a car that we get to drive. But people aren't buying it. They aren't purchasing electric cars fast enough. So keep it up, folks. Keep it up and keep pushing back and saying, no, we don't want your silly electric cars. And we like our freedoms. And uh, we're just going to say no to all this net zero nonsense. Until next time, for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired, so tired.